Hello, everyone. This is Edo Ninja, and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast, published by the Sigil Arts Network. I talk about gaming topics and animated series of my own interest, like Ruby, Final Fantasy, Persona 5 Royal, and so on forward. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked, to spread awareness, and learn more. We are back in 2021 with our return of the segment of this show, Remnant Rewind. Rooster Teeth's Ruby is a 3D animated web show consisting of four anime-esque girls, Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang, and a few other traveler friends trained to become huntsmen and huntresses. However, they are now faced with a greater responsibility, which is putting their lives on the line to fight off against the creatures of Grimm and the foe that will be spoken of later in this podcast episode. So if you have not watched Ruby or have not caught up to Volume 7 at least... I highly suggest you stop listening to this podcast episode and go binge the show on YouTube or on Rooster Teeth's website so you can return here for the full fleshed out podcast episode. I am a little overdue for reviewing episodes 6 and 7 and they were intended to be their own separate podcast episodes but for time's sake we could just break this all down to one podcast episode plus there's been more background information that's been kind of revealed for the past couple weeks since uh, Ruby was in hiatus. So, uh, yeah, let's just dive right into it, just slowly, and then we'll just go from there. Chapter 6 of Ruby Volume 8. This starts off with Cinder's backstory. Finally, as we've been waiting for so long for this, we're finally here. This is easily summed down to, well, it was pretty much expected as inspiration of the Cinderella original. Cinder was an orphan, and for some reason, out of nowhere, the mom that had so much money happened to adopt Cinder from the middle of nowhere, truly believing she was saved from a horrible orphanage, all for her to suffer more from her new family's treatment. She was always an angry child since she was always being pushed around. When the professional huntsman trained Cinder for a few years, Cinder just ended up, well, finally killing them when she was strong enough after the abuse for most of her life and also ends up killing the huntsman too that trained her, which I, uh, that really came out of nowhere, I'm not gonna lie, that was a little bit surprising. I was even more impressed the fact that he still pick a fight with her instead of the other way around, but anywho. Now, here's the thing, like, obviously for how long she's been pushed around, obviously she wants to retaliate, she wants to do something about it, however, doing the same thing, the huntsman has deemed it to her running away from her issues. Which I could kind of see of what he's saying, like basically if that is the only way of how she solves her issue, she is not going to get anywhere in her life. But, I mean, we saw how that turned out. She is always fighting for what she wants and for her freedom, but she has never been free. Like, even with her being a vessel for the Maiden's power for Salem, like, Salem still has her in her clutches. Salem has clearly expressed that she only sees Cinders as like a very valuable pawn, but like she doesn't really care about her if she loses her. She still has some type of backup anyway. <laughs> Penny. Anywho, and then we have Cinder over here that's pretty much showing some type of defiance against Salem by going along with again of whatever she wants. But again, we're gonna get a little bit more into that because that part is gonna be very interesting to talk about in this podcast episode. Like, here's the thing, like, now that, I don't know how exactly she met Salem, but, like, here we are, again, clearly expressed that she's only just a pawn. That's it. Nothing else, nothing greater, nothing, you know, even worse than that, because pretty much that is, like, the lowest point is that she is literally just a pawn. Nobody cares for her. Nobody actually gives a fuck about her, and that's what makes it so funny. Like, Emerald and that Huntsman that Cinder killed were the only ones that actually cared about Cinder. Nobody else. Even her own associates hates her guts. 
Tyria doesn't fear her. Same with Watts. Hazel barely acknowledges her existence. Mercury just went off to siding with Salem, who is bigger and better than Cinder, which, you know, yeah, that's a given. And then Salem, like I said, Salem is only using her as a vessel. That's it. Like, there's nobody else that actually cares about her. And right now, who's only alive is just Emerald that gives a flying fuck about her. And literally, nobody cares about Emerald. Nobody cares about her either. She is probably going to experience the same fate as her beloved Cinder is going to in this volume, maybe. Or the next volume, who knows? Also, there's another thing that I actually want to point out with this uh, backstory. When Cinder killed her mom and her sisters, she ripped off the uh, necklace that the mom was using to torture with Cinder with every time that she does something wrong. She ripped that off, and I, uh, when we got a closer look at Cinder before we actually get to the canon storyline, we noticed that there was some type of, like, it left a mark on her neck, and it really, I don't know, I feel like it makes sense as to why she always wears, like, dresses and, like, these get-ups that have, like, you know, that covers up, covers up the neck. Either some type of collar or, like, you know, the dress, like, goes all the way up to her neck and such. So it makes sense as to why she usually covers it up a lot. But overall, with her entire backstory, mmm, I'm not gonna say it's entirely bad. At least from my perspective, at least as how I took it to face value. I personally think for, like, Cinder's backstory to be explained, it would have been better if this was saved as a character short. Like, sure, like, we got to see of, like, why she is the way that she is right now and to add some sympathy. Like I said, for, like, a crumbed down episode just to get, uh, to advance to the storyline, it wasn't that bad. But to really flesh out with Cinder's character, especially of how overdue this was, this would have been saved much better for our character short. And especially to flesh out as to, like, what made her continue with the journey when she met Salem? How did it happen? Why did, like, especially, why did Salem take interest with Cinder? That I am very curious. And especially what I'm really interested in is the fact that she, like, again, she was picked up from the middle of nowhere. Maybe Mistral, from wh what it looked like with the area, I could be wrong. But she was able to escape Atlas? That part, I'm very curious. I, I don't know how this was even possible, but hey, we here we are anyways, but shit. What would have been interesting to me personally is that how was she able to survive for so long, especially for like committing such crimes, even though like the people that she was surrounded with wasn't exactly any better. But like, how was she able to survive for so long after free being trained by a huntsman? Because like only a few years, I doubt that it would have given her that much experience to where where she is right now, especially with the interest with the fall maiden powers, with being around with Salem. Like again, it just kind of just advanced just like that. I would hope, like, if this is all we're getting for Cinder's backstory, like I said, not bad, but I definitely expect it better. If we're going to get a little bit more snippets of it for, like, you know, as a tease to leading up a little bit more to her character and to add a little bit of depth, maybe I will consider it to be a good thing. But as of right now, I'm not having much hope. And like I said, as for my opinion of Cinder's character, I could care less about it, nor do I, like, I didn't even feel that bad for her at all. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if it's because if it was just that overdue as to like why is she so relevant but like <laughs> the writers really made a character that no nobody likes her nobody cares about her nobody likes her just no one like just actually gives a flying fuck about her if she dies or not so proceeding forward into the episode we do see her finally together in the same vicinity with just the three of them cinder emerald and mercury 
Emerald being concerned as always, trying to make sure that Cinder is okay. Mercury gives the reality check once again, going like, hey, she doesn't care about you, just like how nobody cares about her, but anywho. What I find very interesting ultimately is how defeated Cinder looked when Mercury said, yeah, no, I'm not exactly in your group anymore. Now I'm in Salem's group and that's different. That means you and I are equals. If not, I'm probably better than you. So whatever you want, I'm not helping you out. I'm helping your queen out. See ya. She is just losing like almost everything. And especially with like with Neo's trust, like Neo is ready to snap her neck at any time now. Even with her collecting assets, she is losing those assets because she gives those assets to Salem. While Cinder over here is just nothing but an asset as well. Just a big asset as a maiden. But again, she ultimately means nothing. So it was really interesting the fact that she just looks so defeated. The fact that like, oh fuck, like... God damn, nobody's even turning to me and such. I already know everybody hates my guts, though, but, like, the people that I order around or have people help me out with my bullshit, oh, yeah, no, like, I can't do anything to that because those are Salem's pawns now, and I can't go up against Salem. And the funny thing is the fact that she is trying in her own secretive way, but we all know how that's gonna end. So moving forward, we have a little bit of the scene with Oscar slash Ospin and Hazel. They settled on the plan to divide Salem's forces into turning them against Salem. Oscar, who was pretty much an innocent soul who was just randomly dragged into this as a vessel for Ospin, and for Ospin, who has walked on remnant as long as Salem, pretty much have the best way, are pretty much the best option of how they could counter against Salem's uh, tactics, because like I don't think anyone has ever actually tried to have her own tactic work against her. So it's smart. Ospin usually delays the inevitable and pretty much just only like does cover-ups, cover-ups rather than actually trying to counter against the Salem directly, which finally Oscar, I, I gotta give it to him, the fact that like, yeah, that was actually a good plan. Let's do that. And pretty much the squad that Salem has at Atlas right now, there is still a chance that they could actually win this fight. Who knows? Now this part, this part, finally, this is gonna be very interesting because I actually wanted to talk about this part. So... Regarding with Salem and Cinder's relationships that I mentioned earlier, alright, we're gonna dive into this now. So, after Salem pretty much relays the good news towards to her team, she pretty much goes like, Ugh, you disappointing child. Oh my god, as she's like punishing her with that grim arm, like, oh my god, like, that looks really painful. Oh god, I would hate to be that bitch right now. But anyways... What Salem mentions is very interesting because she says, I realize this is actually my fault as to why you act the way that you do right now. And you know what? You've been fighting so hard for what you want and I'm not giving you what you deserve. You deserve so much more and such. And I am so sorry. And at first I was just like, wait, what? What? This this does not look right. I was just wondering like, what? Like, if you defy against Salem, you're just like, you're toast. You are pretty much dead. But what she says after makes this very interesting. Whether you or my hound get to her first, you will finally have the Winter Maiden's power. And I will have my staff. And it's, I'm just here going like, why are you ordering her? I thought you would like just rip away her Maiden powers temporarily. Just ground her or something. I thought she was going to do that. But the fact that she said that, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I feel like something is very fishy about this. She says these encouraging words to Cinder, yet also punish her by, like, hurting her with the grim arm. 
So what I believe is going to happen, I believe there is a specific reason why she made it not only a contest between her and the Hound, but how she is actually going to show Cinder the hard way, basically. After for her many times of fucking up the plan and defying Salem's orders very specifically and such, I feel like this is pretty much of what Cinder is about to result to. Like, you know what? You want the Witcher Maiden's power? Go for it. Go ahead. See what's going to happen. I feel like that is exactly what she's pretty much giving that in uh, insinuation towards the Cinder. Because it's like, again, if, if she loses Cinder, she is not going to be missing much. Because that Fall Maiden powers could go directly to Penny. Like I said, with that theory that I've always been saying in this entire podcast, it could happen. Whatever this may be, I am down for it because I'm really curious as to what Salem is pretty much trying to show Cinder. Pretty much, if this might be her death sentence in this volume. I'm pretty, at least 80% confident on that. Like, now they finally showed off her character backstory, and now we're kind of just here. Like, <laughs> I think this might be it for Cinder. She might be reaching to the finish line. Either that happens, her grandma actually overtakes her body, the hound for some reason has the maiden powers, Penny has both of the maiden powers, like there's so many things could happen with this and I'm just very curious because Salem is just so confident as to what's going to happen next and to teach Cinder a lesson as to don't ever defy your queen, the one who got you to where you are at today, like damn. So how does this chapter ultimately end? Well, uh, Jean, Ren, and Yang, they got caught up by Winter and the Aesops and got apprehended by them. And the Grimpool made powerful earthquakes and shot up the fucking Atlas. And yeah, their defenses, they're down. So they're vulnerable and they're fucked. And Salem has moved in. Yeah, everyone is now fucking moving in because it's like, all right, well, everything is ready. Everything is now in motion. Time to get my fucking staff. And oh my God, of uh, the panic, what everyone's doing, what... Pretty much like the cause of fear of what Salem's trying to do, it's actually fucking working. And I don't know if I actually see any victory for these, uh, for Team Ruby or even Atlas. I mentioned earlier that like they could still win this because of Oscar and Ospin, but even then with what's happening now, people are dying. Like, <laughs> oh man, this, this is already getting really ugly. That pretty much sums up chapter six. There was not really much to say, just mostly just about Cinder. That's what it really was. So, yeah, we can just now dive right into uh, Chapter 7. So, moving forward. Right. So, as I mentioned earlier, Salem has moved into Atlas, and Atlas defenses, they are now currently down, so now Atlas is vulnerable, so now they're now coming to take of what they desire most. Well, Salem, essentially. And what, what I found something really stupid, there, there are two stupid things, right? One... Everyone, the city of Atlas, right? Everyone is chilling up there like nothing is happening. Nothing. Like, everyone is just chilling on a Sunday. Like, everything's all cool. Everything is just a normal day and such. When it's just like, are they just that ignorant as to what's been going on for the past couple days of pretty much the war? Like, what the fuck? What are you all doing out in broad daylight just chilling out there? What the fuck? Like, having a picnic and shit, like, no, that that is so stupid. Like, <laughs> what was actually going on in Atlas? I don't get it. Like, they're any safer than Mantle. Like, y'all, like, Salem is here. Everyone in the kingdom of Atlas know that Salem is here. And y'all are just chilling outside. Like, 
Atlas is going to take care of this. Like you guys have are that cocky that you guys are just staying out there. Like that that is just stupidity right there. Very very fucking stupid. And with the evacuation plan that Ironwood has, this man really just told everyone in the city of Atlas to evacuate under the subway stations. Like that is the worst place that you can evacuate all of your citizens to. Like, did you not see where the Grim actually just came through? Like, they're, they're coming from underground. What, what are you doing? Uh, oh, my God. The, the, stu- the stupidity of this man is actually insane. Oh, my God. I would. How, we, we know that you've been so stupid, but just how dumber can you get? I'm just completely astonished. Completely. Speaking of being completely astonished, we now get to uh, the scene with Winter, the Aesops, and Yang, Jean, and Ren. And, of course, Yang throws the jab of, like, oh, yeah, still following orders. Like, well, I mean, yeah, that, that they're, they're kind of military. And even though, like, you all have talked like human beings before and such, like, they still have to follow orders as if they are part of the military. Like, girl, I don't think you know how this works. But, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, though. I get it. But, like, girl, that jab was kind of stupid. But anyways... They see the giant monstro fucking whale grin. Jean comments as to, oh, that's where that took Oscar. And this motherfucker, dumb, stupid Vine. He was the only one that I actually liked out of the ASOS, and he just lost it for me in this. Ch- well, he actually lost it for me with, with the Penny episode, uh, fu- with them fighting against with Penny. But this, oh my, how, how stupid could you be? He was just like, oh, well, Grim don't take prisoners. Like, bitch, did, do you not, did you, like, not pay attention to, like, the, the power of Salem and, like, you know, with the maidens and stuff like that? Like, you're really gonna try to bring logic into this? Don't you get it? There's no logic in fucking Ruby. Are you just that stupid? That fucking ignorant? Shut the fuck up, Vine. I'm, I'm actually now getting tired of you. Like, wh- what was that dumbass comment? Like, yeah, this one did. Like, how are you just gonna say that when there have been so many abnormalities that's been happening in fucking Ruby since volume three, but mostly in the in the city of or the kingdom of Atlas since volume seven. Who who are you to make that? You you are that arrogant. I swear to God, the Aesops are so fucking arrogant. But I didn't think Vine was that arrogant to make that type of comment. Like <laughs> they don't take prisoners. Are you just saying that because you're that salty as to losing against with Team Ruby? Shut up, please. I'm actually sick of you. Please stop. Stop talking. Just zip forever. Die if you must with the rest of the characters, please. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to just say this right now. I actually was not expecting to go off that much a little bit about with Vine, though, but just that comment specifically just irks me. I'm just like, you're still going to try to bring logic into this? <laughs> After for what you know, what you've seen? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. Moving forward from that before I pop off more about Vine... And the stupid, the stupidity of the Aesops. Ironwood assigns Winter's team a very dangerous mission, which is pretty much delivering a bomb on foot inside the Grim Whale, bitch ass. Which, oh god, that's gonna be really interesting. I wonder how this plan is gonna work out, because it's like, how in the hell are you gonna get inside of that giant ass thing? Hmm, I wonder. And, like, you have Salem that is, like, right in front that can obviously, like, see everything from what's going on. Like, what, what are you guys going to do? Like, she is... 
<laughs> she is having a field day. Like, it is, and to me, a field day, like, we see her having a Krolo moment. If you watch Hunter Hunter, you know exactly what I mean by a Krolo moment. Like, you just hear this melody play as she is just, like, hearing the symphonies of despair and moaning and, you know, just all of these negative emotions and such coming out from the citizens of Atlas and such. Like, she is thriving off of everyone's, like demise right now it's just really scary not gonna lie I, i'm not gonna like i said salem is actually not a much of a bad villain i i still enjoy her so uh so far throughout the consistency of ruby so far also here's another thing that i also want to mention real quick which i feel like this is a little bit of an inconsistency i could be wrong especially that like against uh semblances could evolve to some degree um we see Mercury kind of just going around the Grim Whale, which I don't understand, like, why she's trying to hide her presence around. Because Emerald's uh, semblance is hallucinations, and, like, you know, is she not supposed to be there or whatever? And how was she able to uh, deceive a seer Grim? That's something I don't understand. Like, could she actually now hide her presence entirely? Or is it just pretty much to that Grim specifically? Like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. I feel like there's some type of inconsistency with uh, with her semblance now that was shown. So, uh, was the Grim that confused or whatever, maybe? That she just did not see Emerald at all? Like, could she actually just, like, disappear, like, you know, just out of nowhere? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that was a little bit misleading. But, I mean, like, then again, I could be wrong. I This might be a little bit of a stretch, but... It could have evolved, or there might have been some inconsistency that, for some reason, Kruby just decided to randomly throw in there. I, like I said, I don't see the point as to why she was hiding around when she's pretty much working for Salem at this point. But, moving forward. So, Emerald is pretty much snooping around. Like, she wants to hear as to what's going on between with uh, Hazel and Oscar. I'm a little bit surprised the door did not open by accident, but here we are, I guess. So Hazel expresses that Salem and him, they express, uh, or they share a vision, essentially, to where there will be no kingdoms, no husband academies, and pretty much just no more people just dying out of vain for an impossible war against Salem. Which, of course, Ospin calls that bullshit because he knows her better than anybody. But what I thought was true, that Salem is going to create a new world order because, again, like, she sees herself as a god now, so... I guess to anybody that shares with uh, Salem's vision, they'll go along, will go along with her way. If anybody defies against her, well, she will be the god to pretty much cut you off. But what I found really interesting is that uh, Ospin points out that was like, no, not really. She actually is craving death. She's wanting release from all this despite the gods, which I'm just like, I th that was the plan before, but I don't think it's like that now, especially as to, like, what type of power that she's gained with her immortality and, you know, you having control over the Grim. Like, she is pretty much inevitable. That's pretty much, uh, like, as she was described as a force of nature that cannot be stopped. He is right that, like, yes, she can be stopped. Uh, like, she can be fought against, though, but it's just, like... <laughs> How are you supposed to kill an, an immortal woman that has control over the Grim and, well, be, trying to become the end of humanity? I just thought that, like, it was still going along with her plan as to, like, you know, she could become, she could become the new god of the world or whatever, but, like, 
Craving death? I, nah, I, I I don't believe Salem is still in for that. If that's the case, then like I said, there is some type of inconsistency as to what we've seen in Volume 6 and now in Volume 8. But I would hope that Ozpin is wrong about this because I would love to see of how Salem pretty much finishes out her plan or still express of what she's trying to do. But if this is really it, uh, I don't know. That, that This is kind of bullshit if that's the case. She's like, we can replace them. They, like, they're not ever coming back if that's the case. We can become the new gods of the world. Like, no. <laughs> I just think that'll totally defeat the purpose as to, like, what she's trying to do. And especially, like, the fact that she's reunite, like, you know, she's trying to unite all the relics together. I feel like she has some type of special plan for that to defy against the gods for it. Uh, cause like, who knows, maybe like, the relics do get reunited all because of Salem, and she confronts the gods, and she becomes a god herself that Team Ruby is gonna have to stop. I was thinking that it was gonna be, that was gonna be like some type of direction that it was gonna go to, something like that. But if this is all to end humanity and also herself, just despite the gods and whatever, then just, wow. <laughs> Talk about an end of the freaking series, I'm not interested at that point i wouldn't say it's exactly bad writing but i just feel like that's just like a really really plain old dead end right there like you're really finding this hard just to die and such i thought like from all that you've done the thinking around for many millennia of walking around in remnant i thought it would be much more grander than that but like i said i know i've been going off too much about it though but i'm just hoping that part of what ospen has expressed is incorrect there is more to talk about with Hazel and Oscar slash Ospin, but I'll get a little bit more into that because uh, from what happens after, we go to see the scene with Ruby, Weiss, Blake, uh, May, Marigold, and Nora. So Nora's in really bad shape. She actually needs to see a doctor. It is that bad, which obviously as to what happened in Chapter 3, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Also, I just want to mention the fact that, like, literally, like, this team over here is just chilling up in Weiss's fucking mansion with tea or some type of, like, hot drink and such while everyone is, like, dying at Atlas. I don't know. I just feel like it's just so weird that, like, they're going to be doing something else. Like, I get it. They had to watch over Nora, but, like, dude, couldn't they be doing something else just so that, like, they could just stop all this, especially to, like, what they just saw earlier? I don't know. I just feel like this just like, wow, like everyone is fighting for their fucking lives and y'all are just chilling up there. Well, guess what? By the time that this fucking series resumes, you guys are not going to be chilling anymore. But just wow. Speaking of doing something, May Miracle, she enters into the scene pretty much saying that like, oh, yeah, well, unfortunately, they have not been heard from. But <laughs> all right, like we've, we've been here long enough. We got to do something. Let's go. And they're over here going like, what? We, we can't leave, which I thought they meant that they cannot leave the fucking mansion. I'm about to be like, what? But they actually meant that they cannot leave Atlas, which that I get. So they have a little argument. But during that argument, I find something really interesting, which, again, I love that, like, they're going a little bit bold about some type of representation here. May Marigold, I didn't think we would actually like talk about this because like this was already revealed in volume seven, not into the show, but like it was talked about all over our Twitter. But May Marigold is actually transgender. We knew that since volume seven, unless you have not been paying attention to Twitter and such about having that type of announcement. But what makes this interesting is the fact that like they actually were bold enough to reveal that into the show. I'm like, well, yeah, you know what? As to how I grew up and such, I was no longer their son, but I made sure that like... I, everybody knew that I was no longer their daughter. Like, I was like, wow. 
you know what? That's a powerful message. I feel like that was like really powerful as to like why you are taking the path that you are right now and as to how you found Robin Hill as your, you know, your safety net along with the other uh, happy huntresses. So you know what? Go off, queen. You know what? You got that. So far, she's been the most interesting happy huntress that like I've ever deemed besides with Robin Hill among with the group. But it was a really well-delivered message as to how she revealed herself as transgender and such. And you know what? Props to Kruby for doing that scene justice and the fact that they even planned for that. And the voice actress even mentioned of like of how happy she was that this was like totally expressed. And it looks like she is having so much fun voice acting the character, which, you know what? Again, like more power to her. And, you know, another fun fact is that the uh, the voice actress is also uh, trans as well. So like I said, more power to her, more power to Kruby that actually is doing this. And you know what? I love of how much representation that they've been delivering to the show. And I would only hope that they continue to show that uh, as the series progresses. So shout out to them for that. So uh, now into back into the chapter for a bit. Now there seems to be a division as to like how to exactly like fight off against with Salem. Because it looks like May, she's kind of just stuck on to like... Yeah, we we gotta help out Mantle. Like Alice, they got it. They have the fucking military. Which I mean, I, that part she hasn't exactly seen. Like the military is not exactly the best front line to face off against uh, Salem's forces. So it's like you know, uh, I I feel like May is taking a little bit of her, of her like you know of what happened to her too far with this, taken out into the entire Atlas, saying that like Mantle needs more attention. Which personally, if you were to ask my opinion. Like, out of which two of the two is suffering more, I think Atlas is suffering more than Mantle now. Like, now, like, all the attention is now going to Atlas. But, I mean, I get it, though. But, like, I just hope that, like, May sees as to, like, you know, again, it's not just, like, one thing. It's all about the bigger picture because it looks like it, like, the only one that's actually seeing the bigger picture right now is, like, Robin Hill. But, like, the Happy Hunters, they're still a little bit more focused onto Mantle, which, to an extent, I get that. But I, I just hope they don't go off a little bit too extreme as to, like, what's going on with Atlas. Because that, that's how uh, Team Ruby was able to make uh, enemies with um, the Atlas military force and Ironwood. But to be fair, this is also kind of uh, Ruby's fault because the way of how she did it wasn't exactly the best either. So there's a lot of more variables to that, though. But, like, with this and what's going on right now, a lot of things could be fucked up very easily if they don't realize this shit, like, you know, they got to get their shit going. The one thing I do agree with May is the fact that, like, they need to get their shit going. They need to do something. Because, like, right now, like, the fact that, like, very, like, we have a silver-eyed warrior that is literally chilling up in Weiss's fucking mansion and other happy, uh, like, you know, other huntresses that could help out in the kingdom right now. But I digress. So now we're back to Hazel and Oscar slash Ospin. So Ospin pretty much told the story of how this all started, why we are here right now, and pretty much as to what's going to be the result if Salem were to unite all of the relics together, which again, he mentions that specifically that she would pretty much, she pretty much believes that her curse would be broken if this is all done and, you know, over with. Hazel obviously doesn't believe jack shit, so Oscar comes out and just pretty much gives the fucking password. I'm just like, you know what? I'm actually trusting my own enemy to get the password. I'm really impressed as to, like, why he would do that. That's a really bold move. I would have been too scared to do that, but, I mean, hey, like, if he does actually use it for himself, this would be very interesting as to how this turns out. 
But like, even if he asks Jan, like, I just wonder of how he's going to phrase up asking her the question if he actually does it. Like, is he actually going to give it to Salem? Is he actually going to use it for himself? Like, I just wonder what is Hazel's resolve is going to be once, like, he actually, like, whatever he does with that information that Oscar gave him or Jin. Like, I'm really curious as to, like, is he going to turn good? Is he just going to uh, redeem himself in some way? I don't know, but... As much as that, like, I'm starting to lose some interest with Hazel, I'm still a little bit curious as to how this is going to play out, but, like, we're just going to have to see how this plays out. Because at least, like, with him, it's a little bit interesting. Not to a whole extent with the other characters, but I, I, I got to see where this is going to take him. And now, next, we have the siblings and the crazy murderer. But before the crazy murderer enters into the scene, I just want to say a how much I'm actually liking that dynamic between with Mercury and Emerald. They're really talking like as if they're actually like siblings. I actually like this dynamic so much. Like they bicker with each other and such, but like, and even though like there are odds against each other and like Mercury says all this shit to Emerald, Emerald like fights, fights off against with Mercury. They still care about each other in a very, very weird sibling type of relationship type of way. And I actually like that after for all the shit they've been through together. And we really have bootleg Sasuke, Mercury Black, actually using his brain for once. Like, yeah, of course, like, he knows what's gonna happen if he actually tries to defy it off against Salem. Like, boy, why would you do that? <laughs> Holy shit. But I I'm really, really excited as to what Mercury's direction is gonna be, like, taken to. Because, like, at first I wasn't interested and I still don't like him. But with this now happening, I feel like they're actually gonna do something with him a little bit more interesting. So I would hope they will keep up with this momentum because finally, like, he's getting something. So, uh, I mean, again, like, the, the moment, uh, the chemistry with Emerald and as to, like, what he's going off to now, like, it's really interesting as to, like, what he's feeling about right now as to how he was acting at the beginning of the series towards to when he found out Salem's existence, met her here in Atlas, and, you know, so far, like, finally we're getting somewhere with Mercury. So, a little bit overdue, but I, I take this more than Cinder. That's how much I'm actually enjoying this. So, which, like I said, it's saying something. But uh, I guess we'll see as to what's going to happen at Vacuo because it looks like he's going to try to claim uh, the Summer Maiden with Tyrion or maybe cause chaos, whatever it is. They're going to probably do their best to grab the relic as the, they're literally claiming a fucking kingdom over there. But it was just so funny how Tyrion was just like, oh, what are you guys talking about? Of course this is, like, really happening. Like, y'all thought this was just a game. And, like, after, like, Tyrion, like, showing his batshit craziness about what Salem is doing, like, that's when Mercury was, like, showing some type of uncertainty about himself, which, again, I really want to see where this is going to go for Mercury. Is he still going to follow through with this? Or what what's happening here? Like, he looks a little bit alarmed about his existence now. Now he's just, like, pretty much helping Salem to a suicide goal here. But... <laughs> Well, if it still remains to be a suicide goal, I'm still hoping for the New World Order uh, idea. But like I said, I've already talked a lot about that, but you get my point. We return to basically the long journey with Yang, Ren, and Jean with the Aesops and Winter. Literally figuring out uh, what to do with the Grim Whale. What I find really interesting about this is the fact that, like, right now they're following orders, but, like, they're still, like, so emotional that they have to get themselves invested to still debating off against with Team Ruby, which I'm just, like, you guys, you guys claim that you guys don't care or whatever and such, and, like, you know, after for what happened, like, you guys are still arguing with them? Like, 
you guys are an interesting uh, elite force. That's all I'm going to say. So as they were all, like, arguing with, like, what's right and, like, you know, what has to be done and such and their fucking morals of how to get this over with or whatever, Red's semblance evolves and now he could just see people's true feelings? So as Ren calls them all out on their bullshit, they're all in denial and they pretty much said, all right, all right, whatever the fuck, Winter fucking shuts this shit down and we're like, okay, you know what, fuck it, fine. You guys can go off. You guys can help us out for this. And while the Aesops are in disagreement of that, they're just, and you know, Winter really puts fucking Harriet in her place going like, I outrank you like, goddamn. I really like what they're doing with her in this volume. Cause it looks like she's still like in the middle of like what's going on with like following orders from Ironwood, but also helping out with Team Ruby in some sense. So this is all working out. Shout out to the fucking queen right there. Winter, you got it for sure. So after they finally settled on doing something, uh, we go back to the dilemma at the Shanee's mansion with May and Team Ruby. Pretty much, May still in disagreement of going like, uh, you either stay here or I, I just go and take off. But to our surprise, we didn't think this character would come back to the Rubyverse. Butler Klein. Klein comes through and as we learn in this chapter he is also a doctor and he is going to do his best to patch up Nora and oh my gosh shout out to fucking Clyde I'm so glad Whitley called him up which that was to our surprise but at the same time since he for some reason had some type of appearance in the opening I guess he was gonna have some type of involvement in this volume I guess but bruh that was pretty shocking and I guess after that Weiss and Whitley just made up, which, I don't know. I still find that really weird after for all the shit that Willie has put Weiss through, but I guess for a critical um, condition like this, like, I guess this is not the time to, like, fight off against with one another. Like, you know, Whitley was kind of initiating that, not Weiss. So I guess, like, you know, the passive route is the best way to go for this fucking grim situation. <laughs> I'm so funny. But anywho... And finally, the chapter ends off with pretty much the mid-season cliffhanger of Penny for some weird reason, even though she was falling from Amity, far away from Atlas, she somehow ends up at the front door of the Schnee's mansion, which, again, I don't know how, and she's covered in some type of green juice, like... How did she get there? Like, I thought she would be, like, going out to the fucking tundra. But no, she fucking landed at the Schnee's mansion at the front door. So how did she get there? Uh, like, I just hope they do explain that because we don't know ex the exact location of the Schnee's mansion. Just only that it's in Atlas. That's it. So I, I guess we're going we're gonna to find out maybe in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. So overall with that chapter, it was pretty decent for the most part. Um... Again, some people kind of expected for a big cliffhanger since we were going to have like a little bit of a longer hiatus for Ruby. But I mean, it was not exactly planned out that way. So, I mean, I still think it was like somewhat of a decent cliffhanger, not like anything like planned to be extraordinary, but at least off to a good note to where she's like, okay, so what's going to happen in the other half? Uh, but surprisingly, Rooster Teeth dropped a, tra a mid-season trailer for Ruby for when it premieres back up this Saturday. The most that we could dissect from this trailer is that looks like Cinder did follow orders for once. She actually went over to where Watts, Crow, and Robin are at. Destroys the fucking prison cell. Recovers him. 
This trailer seems to revolve a lot around with Ironwood this time. So I think the rest of the midseason is, uh, or the rest of this volume is going to focus onto Ironwood now. Maybe to his fate? Who knows? Uh, Team Ruby faces off against the Hound, maybe, and another grid that is, you know, the reason why there was green juice on Penny? Maybe? I, I don't know. Whatever that shit is. That shit nasty. Penny awakens as Dr. Watts' fucking Winter Maiden puppet. Salem is grabbing an unconscious Oscar, which I guess whatever fucking punches that Hazel did to him, I, I, I guess now he's just knocked out and <laughs> Salem looks really pissed that he's not waking up or maybe? I don't know. I guess that's really all there is to say about this trailer. It wasn't like anything too big, just at least to some things of like what the direction is going to go to, like of what they set the motion from the previous uh, chapter or two. I'm at edge as to how this volume is going to end because literally like I still don't even have an idea of how this is going to go because they haven't even been to Vacuo yet. So are they just going to make sure they don't get the staff and they're just going to escape to Vacuo and they're just going to sit on Atlas? Like, I feel like that might be the ending of volume eight for Ruby. That is, I mean, again, anything could happen in this volume. Like, honestly, like even with some type of logic, like there's no such thing as logic anymore with Ruby, but uh, that being said, I'm just pretty excited that I have something to watch on Saturday mornings again. So, cause it was, it's a really nice norm that I have to wake up every Saturday, watch the Ruby episode, wake myself up and like, you know, get all freaked out as to what they're doing. And well, <laughs> sit down, digest everything and put all the notes together and talk about it here on Storm Connect podcast, which, you know, the segment we have here, Remnant Rewind, but that's all going to be for the podcast episode. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the Storm Connect Twitter at Storm Connect EN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show. I definitely would like to hear for your guys' thoughts as to how the volume is going and your guys' expectations. What do you guys think of it so far? I would love to hear everybody's thoughts about this through uh, that Twitter account. Uh, yeah, this is Zeno Ninja. Thank you for your time for listening to this podcast episode. Stay safe, healthy, and of course, for fucking heaven's sake, stay smart. I'll see you guys on the next podcast episode on Remnant Rewind. See ya!